Hello, welcome to the Central Christian Church Message Podcast. We are passionate about leading people to discover and fully own faith in Jesus. It is our desire that the following message inspires you to take your next steps in your own faith. Let's dive in. Hey, I want to begin today by uh, telling you a story. It's a true story. It's a story that happened in 1984. It's a little bit hard to believe. It's just one of those stories that when you put it all together. Now, when I tell you this story, I got to tell you right up front, you got to follow the details or you're going to get lost in the story. But here's what happened. In 1984, a guy named Ted Forbes was walking down the street in Chicago and he found a wallet on the ground. So he picked the wallet up and he looked inside it. It had $3 in the wallet, but it had no identification, no driver's license, no social security number nothing. So as he's looking through it, he's trying to find some way to identify who, who it belongs to. And he, he discovered a letter, an old letter that was inside the wallet. And uh, the only thing he could actually read on the, on the envelope of the letter was uh, a, a return address. And, and so um, he was trying to figure out what to do. And he decided for the sake of trying to find uh, who, who this belongs to, that uh, he would read what was inside. So he opened it up and he read the letter. And then he just sought to try to find th- th- this person, and now he has a little bit of a context. It, 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 was, a, it was a Dear John letter. Uh, it was written by a woman named Hannah to a man named Mike, and so he had that information. So he went to the address on the envelope, and he, asked, he knocked on the door, and he said, Hey, um, did anyone ever live here by the name of Hannah or Mike? And the person said, uh, Gosh, I've lived here for like 30 years. Oh, by the way, did I mention that this letter was uh, like 60 years old at the time? It was actually written in 1924. And and so uh, they said, well, I bought this house like 30 years ago. And when I bought this house, there there was a girl, uh, the daughter of the people I bought it from. Her name was Hannah. And he said, yeah, that, that's probably her. Do you know where to, to find her? And he said, uh, well, I don't have any idea, but I know that her mom was put in a nursing home just down the street here. Long story short, he goes to the nursing home. Uh, the mom is dead. And then he, he kind of gets the daughter's number, tracks her to an elderly apartment where she lives. She's now uh, an older lady. And so he decides that he's going to go to that apartment. He's going to try to find the lady. And so he goes there. Uh, she lives on the third floor of this uh, kind of elderly apartment building. He knocks on the door and he says, hey, I, uh, I know this is really weird, but um, I found a wallet um, by a guy named Mike that um, it had a, a woman named Hannah. Is your name Hannah? And her name was Hannah Marshall. And uh, she said, oh, my gosh, you found a letter to Mike? And he said, yeah, because I feel really bad reading it, but I didn't have any way to figure out. I found his wallet. I'm trying to get it to him. And she said, can I, can I read the letter? And sure enough, it was the letter that she wrote to Mike all those years before in which she said, my, my parents told me that I can't see you anymore and that I've got to break up with you. And then she went on to tell the guy that delivered the wallet, she said, you've got to understand I've loved Mike all my life. I've never married. I could never get beyond Mike. Mike was the greatest guy that ever happened to me, and I've missed him my entire life. If you ever locate him, would you please tell him I still love him? And, uh, you know, it was one of those, wow. So he was blown away by all of that, and she was bright, and, you know, she was 70, like 76 years old, but she was sharp. And he said, if I ever find this guy, I promise you, I will tell him. I will pass this message on to him and tell him where you are. So he goes out in the hallway. He's walking down the hallway. He's carrying the wallet in his hand. And he passes a janitor. This is a true story. He passes a janitor. And the janitor says, hey, can I see that wallet? And so he says, sure. And he says, hey, that's Mr. Goldstein's wallet. He goes, how'd you get it? He goes, well, I found it in the street downtown Chicago. He goes, he drops that air. He loses that all the time. 
And he said, you know the guy that this wallet belongs to? And, and he said, yeah, it's, 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 it's Mike Goldstein. He lives on the eighth floor. Can you believe this? Of the same building. He lives on the eighth floor, yeah, apartment six on the eighth floor. And so he takes the elevator up to the eighth floor, he knocks on the door and a guy answers the door and he says, hey, I know this is really kind of crazy, but uh, is there by any chance this wallet, you know, is this yours? He goes, where'd you find my wallet? He goes, this is your wallet? He goes, yeah, it's my wallet, I lost my wallet. He says, listen, I'm really sorry to tell you what I'm about to tell you, but I, I, I was trying to figure out who it belonged to and because I had no identification, I, I actually read the letter that was inside your wallet. He said, you read the letter? And he said, yeah, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to buy No, he goes, you just don't understand that letter. That was the last contact I had with uh, this woman that I d dearly loved. He said, I've spent my entire life longing to find her. I've never been able to locate her. That's the only thing I've got left. I would give anything to see her again. Can you believe this story? And he said, well, I think I might be able to help you locate her. Why don't you come with me? And he walked Mike down to the elevator from the eighth floor down to the third floor where Hannah lived, knocked on the door. They looked at each other and instantly, instantly realized who they were. And slowly they walked towards each other and they embraced. He was 79, she was 76. Here's the rest of the story. A little bit later, the guy that found the wallet was contacted, asked, would you be the best man at our wedding? because we are getting married. And they were celebrating like a bunch of young teenagers in love. And what an incredible story. It is so hard to believe. But here's what I would, I would just put to you to think about. Wouldn't you love to be the guy to reintroduce those two people to each other? To just be able to bring that reconciliation together? And uh, I, I want you to understand something. When it comes to what we get to do for Jesus and people, we get to be in that position bringing people together. And, and I want to say this, and I, and I actually want you to stare at this sentence. From the perspective of eternity, introducing people to Jesus are numbered among the greatest moments of our lives. You see, often when we think about our lives, we think, oh, no, no, my first job, my first kiss, my first this, my first that, my first whatever. Those were the highlights. On your highlight reel in heaven, I want you to understand, it, it's, it's the people that you introduce to Jesus that are going to be on that reel. And... Um, it's, it's, it's just the reality of what's happening here. Now, I want you to understand why this is so significant. When you introduce somebody to Jesus, you change your life and their life for eternity. It has eternal consequences. We don't often do anything that lasts for eternity, but this one surely does. And uh, what we discovered last week was that a party breaks out in heaven when somebody comes home and somebody is reunited to God, and so it's time to celebrate. Now, I want to stop right here. I want to welcome everyone. I want to welcome you wherever you are, however you're seeing this. If you're uh, on the site with me here, if you're on one of our campuses, physical campuses, whether you're watching this online, whether you're driving down the street, or sitting behind your desk, wherever you are, sitting in your living room, wherever, I, I just want to send my greetings. So good to have you with us. Thanks for being a part of this. And uh, as we get moving today, I want to ask you to open your Bible to where we were last week, and that's Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 is an incredible uh, chapter. It's got so much to say. And we're going to continue today in our series called Where the Wild Things Are. Where the Wild Things Are. It's part two of a two-part series. We introduced it last week. And, and last week, I just tried to help you to understand what WILD stands for, as we're using it. WILD is an acronym that stands for Wanted, Intensely, Loved, Deeply. Wanted intensely, loved deeply. And I use that just as an, uh, a kind of a, a, an idea to get across of how God sees you, 
but how God also sees those who are far away from him. Wanted intensely, love deeply. You are and they are. Get this, how does God feel towards those who are home and those who are not home with him? Wanted intensely, loved deeply. Now here's the kicker that we gotta wrestle with, all right? It's easy for those of us who have chosen to come home to understand that God's kind of crazy about us. I mean, who wouldn't be crazy about us? I mean, we're all that. It's hard for us to imagine <clears throat> that God has this incredible passion for people who are not yet home. That God loves sinners as he loves saints. You see, when you're a saint, in your own mind at least, when you're a saint, you can justify God's love for you. It's just hard to understand that God's love for you began when you were a sinner. And it wasn't when you turned into a saint that all of a sudden God decided that he loves you. So the title of this message is simply this. Can I help you look? <clears throat> Can I help you look? You know, as I thought about this, think about this. If you're playing golf and somebody shanks the ball out and they say, can you help me find it? We would always step up and go, yeah, let me help you look. We enjoy helping you look. If you drop a contact, <clears throat> we'd get down on our knees and help you find your contact. If you dropped your keys, we'd look for your keys. Certainly, if you lost a child, we would do anything within our power to help you find that child. And, and here's what I want to say. We all love helping somebody find something valuable that was lost. We like being a part of the process. The most important thing of all, I would say, is um, the most important thing that could ever be missing would be a person who's distanced themselves from God and is living outside of that relationship with him. Um, <clears throat> why would anyone choose to sit out getting the opportunity to help God find that person? Can I help you look? <clears throat> of all the times you'll invest in your life, no time's gonna be more important than the time that you could be uh, helping somebody find their way back to God. Often we just leave them to fend for themselves. Just if you make it back, that's awesome, but it's not really my problem. So the big idea that I wanna wrestle with you in the few moments we have today is this idea, the greatest joy we could ever experience in life is reuniting someone who has been separated from someone else who loves them deeply. Long idea, sorry for that. But to capture the essence, the, I, I wanna say it again. The greatest joy we could ever experience in life is reuniting someone who has been separated from someone else who loves them deeply. So let's do this. Let's jump back into Luke 15. Let's just kind of review real quickly where we were last week. Luke chapter 15, verses one and two kind of set the whole thing up. Now, it says this. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, you've got a contract. You've got a really open. I mean, the bad people are really open to Jesus, and he's digging on them, and the really righteous people are having a problem, all right? So I want to make an uncomfortable observation right now, and I'm going to lay this out there, and uh, this is just, it just it doesn't feel right, but, but as you read this, the natural and intuitive actions of Jesus were repulsive to those who consider themselves to be spiritually minded and holy before God. Again, you gotta stare at that. It's the natural and intuitive action, what Jesus would just naturally do, repulse people who claimed to be so close to God, 
Who, who got this one right and who got this one wrong? You know, it's interesting. Then after that, <clears throat> there's the three stories to follow. If, if you're into Bible trivia, this is the only time Jesus used three stories to illustrate one point. But that's what he did here. It gives you the idea of how important it is what he's going to talk about. So he told three stories. We call them parables. It was a parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son. <clears throat> the parable of the lost sheep, 99. Uh, there's 100 sheep. One goes missing. 99 are safe. The shepherd goes after the one. There's 10 coins. One goes missing. The woman searches the house for the one. A man has two sons, and one goes away, and one stays. Now, Last week, I stopped the story in kind of mid-story, so let me pick it up now. We're going to go back into Luke chapter 15, and I want you to see the reaction of the son that stayed home. As I, I said last week, this is called the prodigal, the parable of the prodigal son, all kinds of interpretations of that. Many would say this guy's the prodigal son, <clears throat> the, the word prodigal literally means reckless, so I think it's best the parable of the prodigal father who had this reckless love towards his son, but we love to indict the son that went off and did the wild living, and then we kind of venerate the goodness of the one who stayed put. <clears throat> so in Luke 15, begin with verse 25. It says, meanwhile... The older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. He's excited. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I could sell, so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Not very hard to understand what's going on here. Guy's resentful because he, he feels he got ripped off because the father was paying attention to the lost one who was missing but is now found. You gotta make sure you understand Jesus referencing right back up literally to chapter 15, one and two. The sinner's response to Jesus and the holy people's response to Jesus. Because when they were sitting around muttering about the fact that Jesus is hanging out <clears throat> with these undesirable people, really what they're upset about is why does he care about these worthless people when we're here and he should be paying attention to us? This is misplaced attention. <clears throat> the 99 sheep have every right to protest because, hey, we didn't do anything. We didn't go anywhere. And that one stupid sheep that wandered off deserves to get eaten by a wolf. So don't care about him. The nine coins have every right to say to the one coin that rolled away, you're the loser. And the one son who stayed feels fully justified and whatever happens to that son that left, it's, he deserves it. Now, the, the hard part of this teaching that I, I think we have to wrestle with is the, the Pharisees were basically saying to Jesus, <clears throat> you're focusing on the wrong people. You're, you're, you're paying attention to the wrong people. 
we should be the object of your affection and your attention. This is an interesting thing. Um, it's as if that the whole mission of Christ, that Christ came to the world for the sake of them. That Christ came, and, and if he really was God, all of his focus would be on them, not on the worthless people that are found in, in their mind in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now, the problem is, when you listen to the scripture about like why Jesus really came, like I, I, I shared this one with you last week, let me remind you. Matthew 18, 11 says, for the Son of Man came to seek and, and to save, uh, as come, excuse me, I'm, I'm reading it from a different translation. For the Son of Man has come to save <clears throat> that which was lost. That was the mission, all right? Luke 5, 31 and 32 says these words. Jesus answered them in their criticism. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. <clears throat> Can I say something about calling the righteous? You can't call the righteous to repentance. The righteous don't get called to repentance because the righteous believe they never need repentance. The righteous believe that they're always right and that there's nothing that they're doing that needs to be realigned. <clears throat> Excuse me, the hardest thing I would say this about being a leader and who leads people. The hardest thing in being a leader is leading people to stay on mission. It is um, always, always, always a challenge. It is always, always, always a temptation to go off mission. Folks, listen, I want to talk from my heart to you. It is always, always, always easy to make the mission of the church about us. The righteous, the saved, the ones who responded, the ones who are in the fold. Um, churches have a, a really bad tendency, folks, to grow inward, to become literally about themselves. Every church, I believe, if left to its own, would eventually become a closed cell that's the holy huddle, and everyone who's not one of us needs to stay away from us. And this is a tendency that every church has to, to fight. We, we begin to believe that God cares most about what we care about most, and God is upset most by what we are upset most by, even though the reality of it is, is that might not at all be the reality of it. Um, let me just give you um, a quick test here. This is uncomfortable. Uh, it's a test I've given myself, all right? Here we go. H how much of your time, energy, thought, and focus this past year has been on people who are separated from God. You know, missing from a relationship with him. They're suffering because they don't have a connection with a higher being, a, a, a person we call God, who can give them wisdom and guidance through the dilemmas that they're facing. How, how much time, energy, thought, and focus this past year? In contrast to how many of your prayers, our prayers, my prayers, have been about me, uh, about my needs, about what God could do to help me, and in your case, what God could do to help you, or what God could do to help us. You see, it's really easy to forget about the plight of others when you feel like God should be focused on you and on me. And this is exactly what is happening right here. This is the older brother's contention to his father. You should pay more attention to me because I am worthy and that brother is not. Now, I, I want to say um, 
I want to just go into this for a little bit. Um, times like we've been living through cause us uh, to face mission drift, and there's just no way around that. These days we have become so angry and so hostile. Can I explain why we're so angry and so hostile? Because those are our feelings about certain things that are going on. And um, we, we spend so much time these days wanting to make sure that my views get expressed. And I need to make sure everybody hears what I think. <clears throat> these are my feelings. And... Uh, we are venting our own discontent over anything that we just feel isn't right or the way we think it should be. It's one thing, folks, for that to be the description of the society that we live in at large, but the truth is it's often really what's going on within the church. All the while that we're expressing our frustration or upset about something within the church, I think Satan just sits back and goes, oh, I love that. I love that. You just keep doing that. That's good because the purposes of God will always be ignored when people of God get distracted by things that are not the mission of God. And again, you got to let that soak in, folks. Um, let, me, let me say it to you this way. If I were, um, let me contrast it this way. If I were a, a foreign terrorist right now and I wanted to do harm to the welfare of the United States, you know what I would do? I would do absolutely nothing. That's what I would do. I would just leave the, the status and the kind of the, just the situation of the United States. I'd leave it just, you guys, just fight it out amongst yourselves because we've got polarization like we maybe never have had and we have hostility and anger and vitriol. And I would just step back and just watch and just go, they'll, they'll, no, they'll do themselves in. They'll just destroy themselves. Yeah, I can stay here, I can stay here, I can stay. I don't gotta get involved. Now. I think the same sort of thing can happen within the church. We can get to muttering about this, muttering about that, getting frustrated, frustrated over that. <clears throat> all the while, we start saying things and attacking and making statements, and we're all innocent when we do it, because these are my feelings and my views, and I'm sure God agrees with me. Now, the net effect is no care for the lost, no care for the missing, no time left for them, and uh, I think Satan just sits back and enjoys the show you know, it's interesting, if you remember back to 9-11, one of the most remarkable things that happened in 9-11 was that as a country we drew together because we had a common reason to unite because there was something threatening us. Folks, we have totally lost our way understanding what Satan wants to do is to destroy the mission of God. He gave the mission of God to the church and we are easily um, ignoring it. Now, let me say something that uh, David Platt said. Every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side of hell. This is a responsibility God's given us. And, and if you go, I don't even know what the mission was. Let me remind you of the mission. This is not <clears throat> complicated. Jesus' last words are recorded in the gospel of Matthew. Uh, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Here's your mission. Go, make disciples, and teach them what I taught you. That's the mission of the church. It's about Jesus, and it's about people who are missing, and it's about finding them. And God said, will you help me look for them? Will you just help me look for them? 
And then we can talk about the last words as Jesus was ascending to the Father as recorded in the sequel to the Gospels, the book of Acts, Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Go everywhere and testify about me. That's the mission. Now, we, we've been placed here for those who are outside a relationship with God. That is why we are here. <clears throat> and I've often asked God, why don't you just take us home? When we, when we get it right, we give our lives to you, why don't you just take us home? And here's the answer. That's why he doesn't. Because there's one thing we can do here that we can't do better in heaven. And that is bring people with us. Bring people with us. And... Uh, Share our faith. So if, if you've kind of like, I got a little fuzzy on like what, let me just give you two images that scripture spells out that we're supposed to be. We are to be number one, ambassadors of reconciliation. And we are to be number two, letters of recommendation. Let me quickly just uh, make these a little bit more clear. We are to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Let me take you to 2 Corinthians chapter five. All this is from God, who reconciled to us, uh, reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We're ambassadors. Ambassadors set aside for the purpose of helping people reconcile with God. That is the mission that God has given us. How's it going to be accomplished? Well, let me take you to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 10, verse 4. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how, how can they believe in him unless uh, if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless somebody tells them? So you start to see, well, they need to hear the truth about Jesus how are they going to hear? Well, I'm going to leave a tract in a bathroom and it's going to tell them all about Jesus. Or I'm just going to trust that they're going to hear it on Christian radio. Or they're going to pick up a podcast of a sermon. Or they're going to watch it on Christian television. Or they're going to get it from a bumper sticker that says, Jesus loves you. I want to ask you this simple question, church. How'd you come to know Jesus? You know, you know what my guess is? You came to know Jesus because somebody took the time to tell you about Jesus. They shared their story with you. And um, when you heard their story, you started thinking about your story. And then your story kind of became intertwined with their story. And that's how you became a believer. I, I think if we were to just take a poll, I think we'd see that very common. Uh, second thing, we're to be an ambassador of reconciliation, but we're also to be a letter of recommendation. What does that mean? It means that God is going to use you and me as like, this is what happens. We are the advertisement, and this is so important to understand. We are the advertisement of what a life fully surrendered to Christ looks like and what the benefit of it is. Now, let me just say this. If you are a Christ follower, has your life become better since you gave your life to Christ? Or would you say you are better off or worse off since you committed to Christ? Now, if you're a Jesus follower, that's a fair question. Has your life gotten better or worse? I think far and large, most everybody would go, oh, my life has been so much better. I certainly know mine has. Second question, is there anybody out there whose life would not be better off 
if they were in a relationship with God, with Jesus? Well, I don't think so. I think every life would be better. And this is why scripture says the love of Christ that we've experienced should compel us to tell everybody we know, everybody. I think about this thing Penn, uh, Penn Gillette said of Penn and Teller, if you know that they're actually magicians, very famous. He said this a number of years ago and I've never forgotten it. He said, I am an atheist. I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I am an atheist, but I don't respect people who don't proselytize. What does that mean? Who don't share their faith. And then he said this, if you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and the people be, could be going to hell, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do I have to hate somebody to not tell them what I believe to be so fundamentally true? Hmm. Second Corinthians chapter three, Paul said, you yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. You and I, church, you and I are what we're trying to convince people to become. But when we get off mission, and all we're gonna do is fight with one another, disagree about this, disagree about that, squabble and mutter and all of that, that's what we're showing the unbelieving world. So let me close right now with just saying this. You know where the wild things are? Um, God's going, will you help me find them? Will you help me bring them home? You go, I don't even know where to start. So let me just park this message on two thoughts right here. Two specific things that we could do. Number one, two weeks from this weekend is Easter. And you know what every one of us could do? intentionally invite people to come. Intentionally invite people to come. Uh, according to a LifeWay research article, some 153 million unchurched men and women in the United States would attend on Easter Sunday if they were invited. 153, if they were invited. They go on to say this, as Americans are spending $17.3 billion on Easter candy clothes, food, and decorations, they're also doing internet searches on the word church more than any other day of the year. Any other time of the year, this is the time. Let me tell you about further research. 80% of people who don't go to church say they would attend if they were invited by somebody. And only 2% of all believers could actually say with Integrity, I invited somebody to church. Guys, God, can I help you look? Can I help you look? Um, wow. So what we're gonna do at Central here this year, we're, we're gonna have an online Good Friday service which is gonna set up the Easter service. You wanna watch that, it's gonna be a fantastic. And then on Saturday on our campuses and, and online, we're gonna have various uh, in-person and then again, you can get it online. And so Saturday and Sunday, we're gonna gather and we're gonna celebrate that Friday night was not the end of the story, that the sun came up, that the sun came up. So invite somebody. The second thing I would do, I just wanna encourage you to do something that we're, we're really excited about this. 
My guess is, as I've been talking, there's somebody you have in your mind, somebody that you've been going, you know what, I know he's, he should, I should be talking to so-and-so. What are the chances that you would commit to pray for that one? To pray for that one, not one time. To pray for that one time after time after time after time. What if we as a church committed because we want to stay on mission and we want to get our minds where they need to be, what if we said, look, I, I'm going to dedicate 99 days. I'm going to dedicate 99 days to pray for this one that I know has gone missing. I'm going to make it all about them for 99 days. And I'll tell you what, I'm excited about this. We created, an, uh, we, we created it's on our app, but, uh, a ministry for the next 99. If you sign up, if you go online and there's the address, and you'll go to, you know, there's 99 days of prayer. Every single day, hit the push. We're gonna push a prayer to you that I and other staff members have, are gonna pray. We're gonna pray, it's a one minute deal. And it's just keep us focused as you think about that one person that God's laid on your heart. And I'll tell you what, if you'll do that, I think you're gonna see incredible things happen. And your highlight reel, it, it, it's gonna pick up some of the best plays of your lifetime. Now, one more time. The greatest joy we could ever experience in life is reuniting someone who has been separated from someone else who loves them deeply. That someone is the one, that someone else is God. Wouldn't you love, I mean, if one's living in the third floor and one's living on the eighth floor, wouldn't you love to reintroduce them? Now, I'm gonna close in prayer. I'm gonna I want to close in prayer. Before I do, there's two things I want to say. First off, you don't want to miss next week. Very special friend, Steve Carter, who um, is one of the most sought-after Bible teachers. Uh, I mean, literally teaches all over the country. Uh, he has been the teaching pastor on numerous uh, large, significant churches. So he's going to be our guest next week, and I just can't wait for you to meet him. So I want you to be there. Now, I'm going to pray. We're going to close. We're going to pray about Easter services. We're going to pray about you reaching out to that one and then I also want to pray for what happened in Atlanta this week with, well, with the Asian community. And folks, I, again, I don't, I'm not going to go to a bunch of words. That's just evil on every level. And it's a sign of how fallen this world is. And it's a reminder to us about how much people need God. And um, as we talk about any community that gets afflicted by targeting of any sort, we just go, these are us, folks. These are us. And um, we need to stand together and we need to pray. So I'm gonna just ask that we would realize that nobody that day thought that was gonna happen. No, do any of us think bad things are gonna happen in our lives? But God is going, you know what? Let's get this eternity thing worked out and then whatever happens. So join me if you would in prayer. So God, help us right now. We want to lift up uh, again, these families that were represented uh, you know, in this uh, tragic event. And um, God, it's just, it's, it's frightening, it's chilling, it's numbing um, what we're becoming and what's becoming normal. It, it serves us, though, as a reminder that life is short, life is fragile. There is only an illusion that we have any control and that we desperately need you. So God, I pray that you would just keep our Keep our wits about us to realize what's really important, and that is that everybody gets a chance to hear about Jesus. 
everybody. We pray for our Easter programs. We pray for the Good Friday services in which we, in sadness, talk about the, the fact that you had to die. Jesus, you had to die, but that wasn't the end of that story. And then as we go into the incredible story of Easter and the celebration of the resurrection, God, <clears throat> thank you for what that means to us. May we be your instruments to help it to come to mean something as significant to somebody else as it is to us. Help us to tell people, Father, help us help you look. In Jesus' name I pray this, amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our hope is that you are left inspired and challenged to continue to grow in your faith. If you are looking for more from Central, follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. See you next time. Until then, go be the church.